Hey, it's Mark here, and welcome to the next edition of the Employee Survival Guide, where I tell you, as always, what your employer does definitely not want you to know about, and a lot more. Hey, it's Mark here, and welcome back again. This episode, we're going to talk about the layoff first aid kit. What do you need to put in it? What do you need to do? Uh, I thought of this con- this episode because of the uh, number of layoffs it's uh, ever increasing. Uh, yesterday was uh, indeed laid off fifteen uh, percent of its workforce. Uh, Accenture is laying off, I believe, twenty thousand people, and um, it's just escalating. I will say that we're uh, very very busy. I am taking a number of calls daily. Uh, from people being laid off. Uh, I will note that it's from the tech sector, yes, but also hedge funds and financial industry. uh, Starting to see a lot of financial industry uh, companies laying people off. Um, Not good, folks, um, unless you're an employment lawyer. So, But uh, in all seriousness, what should be in your layoff first aid kit? Uh, First, get a copy of the severance agreement from your employer and then read it. Uh, the severance agreement is going to contain, in essence, a, um, a divorce between you and your employer whereby you're going to release claims in exchange for some amount of money. And uh, there will be other conditions such as uh, you're re-upping on your non-compete, non-solicitation, and your confidentiality. Um, you will most likely be denied a bonus if you – because some firms have this policy that if you're not at work at a certain period of time, you don't get your bonus. Uh, but the the provisions are varied depending upon what company you have. But uh, read the provisions. In essence, what it all boils down to, it takes me about 10 minutes or less to explain it to you if you call me on the phone, but read it. And it says that you release all these claims, and it's obviously legalese, but nonetheless, it's black and white. You can read through it. And it says it's the full and final agreement. No agreement occurred uh, in the oral language before or at, uh, the agreement was signed is not applicable. And then you have a full deal if you accept it. And you have this if you're over age 40 and you have a, a seven-day right of revocation period uh, to uh, revoke it if you want to. Um, the second uh, aspect of the first aid kit uh, is what is your goal? What are you going to try to do with respect to your severance negotiation? Um, either A, you hire an attorney like myself to explain it to you and explain the terms, but not necessarily increase the cost, but just explain the terms. And I'm doing a lot of deals now where I'm, I'm basically carving out like non-competes, non-solicitation uh, elements, not necessarily increasing the cost. So if you want to increase the cost, that's a different avenue. Um, and obviously it gets more expensive because you have to have an attorney to spend time to go through the facts and discover if you have a case or not. Um I would seriously uh, begin to think about writing up your narrative of if you're choosing the second option there of trying to build legal leverage, and I'll get to that in a second. The third thing to do in your first aid kit is check your HR portal if you, if you still have access uh, and see if the company has a severance plan. And I talk about this often in my episodes where you have to figure out if what the floor level of benefit you're going to get. These companies will pay either uh, severance under a policy 
or they'll pay it under a severance plan. Now, it's a plan that's really filed with the Department of Labor in Washington, D.C. Uh, they file what's called a 5500 uh, document. I think it's uh, item number 4I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they, they put down – and what it basically is is a plan that says for the number of weeks you worked, you can get up to six months and they try to cap it. Uh, based upon years of service. So uh, so that's really the floor level of benefit. And if you seek legal leverage to increase dollars, what you're, you're trying to do is increase your dollars above and on top of what you get for severance benefits under the plan. All right. Number four, because uh, I have 10 items here, sorry. Um, four is ask other employees what they receive in severance. Uh, people talk. It's really amazing. And so if you can get people to say what they got, it'll give you an idea of uh, a sense of like uh, – it's like equal pay laws, but we, we don't have that for severance. It's all still confidential. But people do talk, so ask them. Uh, I should make a footnote here. When people do tell you what they talk, uh, they got for severance after they signed the deal, they're in fact legally breaching their confidentiality of their, uh, of their severance agreement. But for some reason, they still want to share what they got. Uh, I heard it today on the telephone. Uh, somebody said that they uh, had talked to somebody who had gotten a year and and obviously that sparks someone's imagination that maybe I can get a year as well. But that's the idea. Get information, get in detail about what other people got. Number five, there's such a thing called a goodwill negotiation. I'm going to explain it in a second and then I'm going to basically you know, downplay it. Goodwill negotiation essentially is this, um, where you don't want to pursue legal claims because you're concerned of cost or fear or all the above, and you just want to see if you can get money because of your, you know, your good performance. You would come up with five things of notable, recognizable efforts on your part that made the company money uh, that you would put into a letter. Uh, that you would say, listen, I'd like to increase my severance pay offer from X dollars to some other thing. And then here's why, because I'm such a good employee. Um, I will tell you that uh, nine times or 10 times out of 10, the employer is going to say to you, um, <clears throat> sorry, but respectfully, the agreement is what it is. Take it or leave it. So that's the, you know, goodwill negotiations don't really work. Uh, people think about doing it all the time just because they think they're going to save money. But in reality, Give it a shot. You can send an email, but then generally they don't work. So you got to push your employer around by uh, coming up with some legal claims. Number six, speaking of legal claims, what is your legal leverage position in negotiation of settlement? Do you have one? How are you going to know you have one? Can I just pause and just beat into your brain one concept? Can you begin to discover and read about what employment laws are about because – if you don't, you're naive. You're naive because you're not really helping yourself to understand what you have in your possession, what's in your cards. And you maybe just go to talk to an attorney, get a free counsel because that's you know free, whatever. But a lot of people don't understand what they actually have. And once they're explained what they actually have, then they're astounded actually to what can happen when you actually know, have knowledge about something and you can do something. You can actually get more money. So can everybody wake up and begin to understand the rules of engagement about their employment? I, I It's a pet peeve of mine. People just refuse to Learn about this stuff. It's all free. It's available. You can go. You can spend time on my website. You can read all that you want about everything. That's what I tried to put out: the free information, so that you get educated about what it is. So that when you're sitting in the situation when you're going to ask for more money, 
you can quickly adapt or maybe you can actually curate your own case and make more money out of a severance transaction uh, because you have knowledge. Knowledge is power. So back to legal leverage. I'm going to ask you to write a narrative telling me your story. Um, maybe it's a story of whistleblowing because you found corrupt practices uh, at your company uh, or you were discriminated against. It doesn't really matter. Just come up with some legal leverage um, that it describes uh, that you have a claim and then you use that claim to um, develop uh, a negotiation position with your employer and, you know, sorry, but you have to hire an employment lawyer uh, to kind of help you along the way and that employment lawyer um, – you know, think about what your goal is here. You're not hiring the employment lawyer to do file a lawsuit. That's the last thing you ever want to do. Uh, you're, you file a lawsuit in federal court, it's going to get picked up in Google the day after. Guaranteed. Happens all the time. State court's a little slower. But your goal here is really about just getting involved into an, a negotiated settlement with your employer prior to lawsuit being filed. But you're bringing in the, the onslaught, the appearance of litigation to your employer because they're not going to know the they're not going to understand what your goal is. You, you don't have to tell them. You can bluff it, but you have to make it look like and and it has to sound and talk like and walk like a legal claim, and that has to be demonstrated by the facts of your case. Um, years ago, somebody said to the phrase to me that you're writing for dollars. I'm not kidding. It's not what I'm doing to the case. It's actually what your facts reveal. I will help you put it together. Curate it. You can help yourself to that. I have a lot of clients who actually are really good at putting their cases together. I mean, six, sometimes seven-figure outcomes. No joke, folks. People actually spend the time. They understand what their situation is, and they leverage it really well to get a huge payout. It happens. So hiring an employment lawyer, uh, hiring an employment lawyer on an hourly basis versus contingency. When you approach a lawyer for contingency, you better be able to demonstrate you have a lot of damages. Uh, if you just financially can't afford it, I understand that happens, but the contingent lawyer is looking for damages. If you just lost your job for $150,000, well, and you lost it yesterday, you really don't have any damages unless you're able to show some type of claim. But even then, we still need damages. So um, what I'm trying to get at, folks, is that giving a contingency to a lawyer at 33% generally, you might be giving away more than you need to because if your only task is really negotiating a severance deal, then you want to pay it on the hourly because that's cheaper for you. Uh, because the, you're only going to go through the following stages. Drafting affidavit, presenting a, a notice of claims letter to the employer, a demand letter to the employer, and then conducting a negotiation. And then review the agreement, sign it, and be done. Get paid. That's it. It's happening a couple of weeks, maybe less. Um, Hours-wise, I can't really estimate, but it's not that long. But it's a lot less costly than having a 33% contingency case. I will tell you a story, true story, can't include names. Uh, we were working on a matter on an hourly basis. Client um, wanted a contingency, didn't tell us about it. Uh, after we had prepared the case to the complaint stage, we were at $9 million, I think, or something like that. And the value, Not a, this is a true story, the client switched, hired another lawyer Settle the matter after it was filed in court, uh, and the lawyer didn't do anything because uh, the other lawyer, the new lawyer, because they used our complaint. The client made a mistake. The client actually was a, a, a lawyer, yeah, no joke, and uh, gave away the the whole thing. Uh, I'm sure it settled for very a lot of money, but 
uh, the lawyer gave away a lot of percentage uh, for the lawyer on the other side. The new lawyer didn't really – I'm sorry. The new lawyer she hired didn't really do much uh, in the way of – uh, do, you know, on top of what we already done, we were at the end of our process, and uh, all they they had settled it after uh, maybe a month in in court. Um, that's not a long time. So, back to the story: is the hiring the employment lawyer on an hourly basis is cheaper for you uh, in a severance negotiation when you're not pursuing a complaint in court. That was so. I think I made that point. Um, now, eight negotiate severance using an attorney. Um, I'm not trying to bolster the aspect of the attorney, but we have the experience of dealing with employers all the time, any employment lawyer for that matter, uh, and versus not doing it. And it's employers, you know, they play hard and fast. And if you don't have an attorney there, they're going to abuse the situation. So be prepared for that if you go down that angle. But if you have an employment attorney who understands the process and has a reputation, so maybe their website it looks like ours and just just talks and it just oozes out employment information to you, that's the type of lawyer you want to hire and um, somebody with a lot of experience. Number nine, um, during the negotiation, uh, you may need to file administrative complaints to bolster your case. Uh, so this means you file with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for or the New York City Civil Rights Commission uh, to um, – uh, register your complaints. It is really an administrative exhaustion part if uh, requirement if you have a discrimination claim, and it tells the other side that you're very serious about the the matter. It's it's public, but it's not public. You can't search these administrative filings. They, it's not Google searchable. You actually need a FOIA request consented to by both parties in order to have uh, the release of the information. So filing uh, may involve an agency complaints. I also use another tactic too. I take your affidavit and I stick it in the form of a federal captioned complaint where it's the same fact pattern and I change the pronouns and I add complaint counts to the to the thing and make it I turn it into a lawsuit on paper. And I send it to the other side for purposes of their uh, – of settlement purposes to uh, make the employer understand one important thing, that the fact pattern that the client originally gave in the EOC affidavit that was sworn or whatever affidavit we're using now appears in the federal complaint all of the garbage that we put in there about the employer that's embarrassing. I'm going to tell you, folks, it's a real huge deal when the employers see this because most lawyers, you don't know this, they draft complaints that are kind of lawyerish, you know, uh, and they're very, you know, generic and they're not they're not the, the real true hardcore narrative that a client can tell you in his or her own words what happened. Well, I maintain that same his or her, that personal approach in the fact pattern because that's the drama of the story, including every little nuance of the corporate bad behavior. It's also included in the complaint. And I use that for severance negotiation purposes and it really does wonders to help the other side consider, well, do we want this information out there in public? And so that's a leveraged tool. Lastly, number 10, part of your first aid layoff kit is sign the deal after negotiating the severance agreement, exit the employment. That's how you would exit uh, and then get paid. And the one final thing is don't comment about what you receive for your severance because it violates your confidentiality agreement of your settlement agreement. So say no comment. I know that other people do talk, but that's their fault, not yours. So those are your 10 top 10 things about a severance first aid layoff kit uh, that you're going to be dealing with uh, and you have choices there. So hope that helps you. Uh, good luck and I'll talk to you soon.
If you like the Employee Survival Guide, I'd really encourage you to leave a review. Uh, we try really hard to uh, produce information to you uh, that's informative, that's uh, timely, that you can actually use and solve problems on your own and at your employment. So if you'd uh, like to leave a review anywhere you listen to our podcast, please do so. And leave five stars because anything less than five is really not as good, right? Uh, I'll keep it up. I'll keep up the standards up. I'll keep the uh, information flowing at you. Um, if you'd like to send me an email and ask me a question, I'll actually review it and post it on there. Uh, you can send it to M. C-A-R-E-Y at C-A-P-C-Law.com. That's capclaw.com.